the Mindset Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. And on today's show, I've got Mario Tomic. He's a YouTube sensation, and he's better known in his own words as he was once a skinny fat nerd that has become a ripped nerd. So welcome <laughs> to the show, Mario. Thanks for having me, James. Uh, pleasure talking to you. So first of all, let's talk about your nomadic lifestyle and how did it come about? Yeah, it's kind of a weird coincidence that I ended up being a nomad. Initially, I didn't plan to do this. Initially, my uh, kind of idea was to uh, stay back home, you know, settle somewhere, maybe in Croatia, it's some uh, small city on the coast and just work from there. Uh, not travel a lot because I was thinking from a mindset of I'm going to save money, I'm going to work as a freelancer online, or I'm going to start my business online. And the whole idea was just to find my own little cave and just stay there. But then as I started traveling around and um, doing, uh, providing uh, services online and all these things, uh, basically what happened is I kind of got addicted to travel. And I realized that it's, it's an interesting thing that you can combine travel with being an entrepreneur and just do it both at the same time. It was kind of a new trend. I mean, still uh, not a lot of people do this. The community of these uh, we call digital nomads it's not a big community, right? So there's a couple of thousand people. And uh, it's interesting that in some cities you will run into same people if you travel uh, long enough in, for a couple of years. I mean, I've been traveling since, uh, yeah, for like five years, since uh, 2012, pretty much every few months, new city, new country, almost uh, almost like clockwork, sometimes even sooner. And uh, you actually run into same people, which is pretty cool. I mean, the community is very tight, very small, and um, it's kind of a very interesting lifestyle. I mean, you can go into a little bit uh, on, on the details and pros and cons as well. But uh, yeah, it's definitely one of those unique things that you could have probably never done. Yeah, you could definitely never have done this in, I don't know, 50 or 100 years ago uh, when uh, there was no internet, there was no possibilities to do something like this. So. I'm basically, I guess, taking advantage of the fact that I was born in this time so I can actually do this. So in terms of actually being an entrepreneur and traveling about, what kind of, the, more so the cons of it traveling around in relation to your business, obviously, because it's predominantly on YouTube, How, what mm-hmm. kind of things do you have to uh, put on a, as a pres- precedent as where you're moving to? Yeah, I mean, that's instantly limiting the factor that you have to do online work. And if you're doing a lot of video work, video editing, or when I'm coaching my clients, I do, uh, let's say, video calls, or if I do video reviews, I have to download a lot of footage, I have to send them some footage, upload videos to YouTube, download some stuff. You know, it's a little bit tricky because the internet connection is the first thing that could limit you. So you can't really go to a country that doesn't have that settled, you know, like doesn't have that sorted out. And there's countries like that. There's still countries where if you go, uh, it's kind of, it works, but it doesn't work to a degree where you can actually be that high performer. So the internet could just simply be the limiting factor and you can be as productive as, as the internet is, right? And that's one thing that kind of determines where you can travel. But luckily, I mean, this has been sorted out in the last two years, I would say that most countries that are anywhere, anywhere Western world, uh, Europe is completely handled, Asia, most of the countries are handled. It's pretty cool, right? Most of the world, you're going to get pretty good internet. So that's no longer the factor. But um, I'm kind of glad that you started off with the cons because that's most nobody talks about that. And most people talk about just how awesome it is to travel, how awesome it is to uh, switch countries, 
uh, go to these new cities, meet these new people, eat this new food. It's all like awesome, new all the time. And that is true to a to degree, but it also depends on what you're actually trying to do in the location. If you're traveling like I'm traveling, I mean, it's not like you're on holidays and you're just like, hey, YOLO. Um, you can do whatever you want. It's you have to have certain structures in your day. Otherwise, the new location, new environment, was just going to eat up your time, and you're not going to get anything done. And I've experienced this firsthand when I started traveling. Is that uh, the first two months or three months, I was so unproductive, man. I, I didn't get anything done. I would just wake up in the morning, and it's like someone is hitting you up. Hey, dude, let's grab coffee in this cool place downtown. You haven't been there. It's awesome. You can take some photos. There's this nice square there. And you just go. And you're not thinking about, well, how am I going to get stuff done today? Then you go there. You try some food. It's usually not the healthiest food in general. Then at the end of the day, it's like you already five hours passed. You know, then you have to figure out a gym. And then you're thinking, already, okay, my nutrition was off. I spent so much time walking and, and fooling around that now I have to run to the gym to get my workout. And then where's all the client work? You know, where there's all that stuff. And where can you get time to talk to your employees? You know, and things like that. It's really a, it's really a challenging situation. And that's just the business side of things. And I didn't even mention all the things. Personal life is even more challenging. And that's something that people... I don't think I heard anybody talk about this before. It's almost like the dark side of being a digital nomad is that you won't have a lot of friends. I mean, you you won't have even the opportunity to have a lot of friends in person with you. So it's going to take you a while to build up connections and people that you're kind of, I guess uh, you can hang out with them. You're kind of casting a very, very small net if you think about it because there's only a handful of people doing it. Then there's a very, very small chance that you can actually meet someone who can do that with you and then travel with you. Uh, long-term relationships become an issue. There's a lot of start, like visas. You know, if your partner can't go to a country, what are you gonna do? You know, like if your partner's from a different country, they are not European, for example, they have a different visa. You can go to a place they can't, right? And it's just there's so many logistical things, but it's super fun. I mean, it's a very, it's a very unique way to live, and it's very challenging, and it just adds another layer. Um, to life and uh, it, it definitely it's, it's a crazy story and a way to live to, to explain to someone let's say if you're if you're trying to <laughs> do an interview or something you know most people are like interested in how it is right so we can we can talk about that it, it's pretty cool so you touched upon it a little bit the, the training and the nutrition side but what impact does that your lifestyle actually have on that what kind of um, preparations do you have to make to keep everything in check? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we can talk a bit about training and, uh, and then about nutrition. Uh, I would say that training is the thing that you do notice effects immediately. So you will notice that, let's say, if you've um, managed to build up to a certain level of volume and intensity in the gym and you're really crushing, you're getting PRs, you have that good momentum going, you have that, you're just in that groove, you know, it feels right, nothing hurts. Um, every movement in the gym that you're doing, you can just connect really well. You know the machines and you get to know it and bam, all of a sudden, new country, new gym. Um, crazy stuff's going on, a lot of stress. And you can't hit the same numbers, right? You just can't hit the same numbers. And that's often the case. 
calibrated the same or something like that. But in most cases, your, your amount of volume and your intensity that you can be doing in the gym just goes down a little bit. And that can be hard. Initially, I mean, I felt really bad about that. I felt like I was always taking a step back. And I kind of vowed a couple of times not to travel at all because of this, because I would just get in a super nice groove and I would hit PRs and my squat and my deadlift and my uh, pressing. And I would feel so good about that. And then you switch a country and you're like, why did I work so hard for all these months? And now I have to take a step back. And it was really bothering me for a while because I care about my training a lot. And there's really not much you can do about it, but it can make it easier on yourself. You can plan your training ahead of time to kind of match the location switch. So you know that you're going to, let's say if you're running a power bodybuilding template or something similar where you're interested in gaining strength and size at the same time, you can kind of plan those blocks that when you're entering a new city, that maybe you're going to do some high rep stuff where maybe it's going to be a deload, maybe it's going to be a lighter week of training in some case, you know, just until you get to learn the equipment. You don't want to have that peak of your PR hitting uh, at the day when you land in a new country because then you're probably not going to get it and you might even get injured because, I mean, even small things, and I just arrived here in Bulgaria, uh, sorry, in, in, in Romania, and I'm going to Bulgaria afterwards, and uh, Romania is my first, country, first time I'm in this country. So I went to this gym, and uh, day one, I was supposed to do squats. And the rack is different, right? The rack is totally different. So the, number one, the position of the bar is not the same height as the one in Barcelona where I was before. Not in the same in London, not the same in Edinburgh, not the same in Berlin. You know, it's, it's always changing a little bit. And uh, also, the floor is different. So the floor is, where you're squatting is a little bit um, cushioned. So that plays a huge role. Like you don't have that stable platform like I did have in some gyms before. Another thing, weights are different. The, the, the bar is different. The weights are not calibrated the same. You instantly feel it. I mean, instead of doing uh, what I was doing before, I hit a 130 kg for 11 reps. You know, I had a few reps left in the tank. The, uh, two days ago, I hit uh, 120 for eight and I was wiped out. I was totally wiped out. And it's... I mean, it's 10 kilos plus a few reps. You would say that this is ridiculous, but it, it just is what it is. And now I have to restart from that 120 uh, for eight and rebuild my progression from there. So it really gets tricky. And then not even to mention injuries and things like that, like my fingers screwed up because of the this uh, rusty machine was like one of those, uh, you know, that Ivan Drago character that used to train against Rocky, the Rocky mm. Balboa movie. And that, that's the kind of stuff where he would train. It's like those... <laughs> old ancient iron machines with the with the bicycle chain you know stuff like that so i was actually adjusting a seat on one of the machines and it just snapped my finger and i got three stitches right now on this finger right and it's just a random thing and i was i mean i was paying attention but you never know until you get and these small things like this you know this is i mean all my pulling movements and most of the stuff for the next three weeks is going to be affected by this you know things like that and uh, yeah, there's a lot of challenges and um, not even to go into some stuff, I guess, some practical stuff for your uh, listeners or viewers is uh, the logistics. So if you're moving to a new place, like you're going from uh, country to country, city from city even, you want to have the logistics handle where the gym is nearby. So it's not like 45 minutes public transport away, you know, when it's on a rainy, cold day, uh, 45 minutes can even be longer. Something happens along the way. 
you just spend half of your day in the, in transport. You know, that that's hell basically. So you want to make sure that the gym is somewhere nearby. You want to make sure that it's within 15 minutes, um, ideally walking. In other hand, you, you could take public transport. I don't recommend these kinds of things. I would, I would even rent my apartment. Right now, I'm in such a situation that I rent my apartment based on where the gym is. I don't even look at anything else, like the gym, then the apartment. And it, it's such a lifesaver. You know, when I know that I can go down the street and just get my workout done, because if I'm training six, seven times a week, it really adds up. You know, think about all those, I mean, 30 minutes to get there, 30 minutes to get back, and that's happening six times a week. That's six extra hours that you save yourself. You can basically have a whole workday that you could have been productive. You can listen to audiobooks, of course. You can make that 30 minutes productive somehow. But I, I feel like it's time, you know, and it just puts so much pressure on the rest of the day. And uh, that's one of the things, like handle your logistics, know ahead of time if you're planning to go to a, a vacation city and you just have the ability to rent an Airbnb, why not make it right next to a gym? You know, it doesn't cost you much. It's probably going to even be cheaper because most gyms aren't directly in the dead center where all the touristy stuff is. And it really saves a lot of time. I would say that at the end of the day, your priorities change a little bit. So in the beginning, I was prioritizing the beauties of the city, you know, like cool restaurants, cool places to go out. But now I'm like, I can have that, but I can also have my health. You know, I'll value my health more than that. And that's that's kind of a shift in perspective that it happens. But yeah, that, that's kind of my two cents on training. And, and there, there's a lot of nuance to it as well. It depends on the place where you are. Obviously, in some places you can make it happen and some you can't and you just have to make the best out of it and um, I tend to avoid these kinds of places for long-term travel but I mean, it just depends on uh, what kind of, what what your other setup is right I, I kind of like to have a balance between all areas of my life so I don't want fitness to eat up all my time but I also don't want my business to crush my fitness and my health so I really want to have everything and that's where the art of uh, really micromanaging everything helps and in terms of nutrition, Mario, obviously culture is going to have a bearing on what you're able to eat. Being, I'll be, we'll say, uh, be it because obviously you were in Mexico for a bit. So be it the Americas, Europe, and Asia, all those those different types of cuisines are going to change. So <laughs> how how do you kind of adapt to that and some of those problems? Yeah, it's kind of interesting that you mentioned there. So um, just to give a little bit of context, uh, we spoke, I think, first time I was in Mexico. That was December-ish or so. Then I went to Croatia. Then I was in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Then I went to uh, Barcelona. Then I went to uh, Portugal. Then I went to England. Then I went to Scotland. Then I went to Berlin. And then I went to Austria. And then I'm here in, in Bucharest. All these countries are somewhat unique what they have to offer in terms of food in supermarkets, as well as especially when you go eat out and pick something that is local. The first time, I want to bring it back, uh, first time when I started traveling, I was all about, you know, my travel was the list of restaurants, you know, that was my travel plan, you know, let's just open TripAdvisor, let's just find the best restaurant in the city, and just let's try a little bit of each one. That's not going to get you very far in terms of your nutrition goals. You know, most uh, countries, most specialties in 
pretty much all these countries that I mentioned are going to be very, very high fat, probably high carb, uh, very little protein. You know, sometimes you get a little bit of extra protein if you're, I don't know, if you're in an Argentinian restaurant, you know, if it's like steakhouse or something. But usually it's going to be very low in protein, high, in sh- high sugary or even starchy carbohydrate plus high fat. And that just makes sense. I mean, the goal of the restaurants and the, the goal of the, the entertainment, the food entertainment business, which is basically restaurants, is to keep you happy, satisfied, to give you the most pleasurable experience. It's not to actually hit your macros. Mm. So it's important to know when to take a step back and have a plan when you're going into a new place, into a new country. Okay, 80% of my nutrition is going to be the supermarket stuff that I know that is solid, that I can hit my macros with. And then I can have that 20%, those couple of nights out or couple of visits to local places. And then I can try that stuff out and incorporate it into my macros. This is where flexible dieting really helps. This is, I mean, to be fair, I'm a bro. Like, I'm, I'm the bro, man. If I need to eat chicken broccoli or rice all day, I'll do it, right? I don't care. So I'm totally fine with that. And I would probably been, I mean, I'm most of the time I am eating those bro foods because I just like it. You know, I just like it. I have it planned out. I just knock it out. And I wouldn't mind doing that all the time if I was in one place. But when I really notice how beneficial flexible dieting is when I'm traveling, is that that's a perfect match to get some of that nutrition uh, from those foods that you just want to try it out, man. Like you want to try those awesome sandwiches in Portugal. You know that they're, they're super fatty, man. It's like the the grease is just dripping out of it. It's like super high in carbs. It is absolutely delicious, but it's. Um, I think it's called Francesina or something like that. It's ridiculously delicious. It's amazing, right? Uh, then when you're in England, you want to try the breakfast. You know, you want to try these things like English breakfast. You want to get some of those sausages. And it's it's a couple of times. You know, you're not going to eat sausage as your main source of protein or fat. You know, it's not the most optimal choice. But you want to try it out. In Mexico, you will go out and eat some tacos and, and some stuff like that. I mean, you want to try some local fajitas and all that stuff. And, and that's super cool. But if you limit that to the 20% and you get the 80% from uh, whole healthy unprocessed foods from a, from a restaurant, from a Tesco where you can just buy even solid food that, it, that is not highly processed, you can probably even buy – I mean I saw those packs. If you go to a, even a Tesco Express, they're going to have pretty clean quote-unquote food, pretty much unprocessed. You have all the fruits. You have a lot of veggie sources. You have a lot of different types of dairy. You can combine it. You can find some really highly nutritious foods there. And you don't have to really think about it too much. But then for that 20%, you will really appreciate it when you go out and when you try that food because it's so it's kind of scarce, right? You're not going to have it all day. You're going to really have to plan for it and you're going to enjoy it more. And plus from a financial standpoint, look, if you're eating out every day three to four times, even if you if even if you're loaded with cash, which I'm certainly not, I still wouldn't consider that a proper investment. I would rather invest in in my business or helping more people, designing programs, hiring more staff. I would rather invest in that than just just be luxurious with my food. I would just kind of pick the best stuff and focus on the best stuff, and then also have my fitness goals and my nutrition goals handled on the other side. And of course. Uh, planning ahead of time, absolutely key. Uh, most countries in Europe will have really good dairy and meat options for very, very affordable prices. I mean, I've never seen a European country that doesn't have really good options. Let's say Spain is a little bit 
scarce in dairy. They don't have the the type of low-fat cottage cheese or Greek yogurt that I personally like. There's a few of them. They're a little bit lower in protein. Uh, but then Spain, uh, on the other side, has amazing fruits, has amazing veggies. The Most of the stuff that you actually see here in this country, in Romania, or even in England, comes from Spain. You know, you have amazing quality vegetables and fruits. So you can take advantage of that once you're there. You can use that to your advantage to really get yourself uh, like some high-quality nutrition. Then you move to Scandinavia, you have some amazing berries. You have types of berries that you don't even have in other countries. You have stuff that it, it's only in Finland from what I've seen. And, and you can enjoy that while you're there. You know, they have some awesome different types of uh, dark chocolate in different countries. You know, if you like there's Finnish dark chocolate, there's there's Swiss dark chocolate. There, there's so many different combinations that, man, it's like, it, it's a shame not to incorporate those foods into your diet. And it's not just all about the restaurant. It's also what's available in the, Farmers market. I think farmers market is highly underrated uh, because we're a little bit lazy. You know, we, we go to a new place and we're well, let's go to a restaurant. You know, like let's not cook. But the farmer mar- farmers market has such good stuff, man. It's like th- these unique like hand picked berries from our forest nearby that you want to try out. It's probably the healthiest thing you can possibly eat, and especially fish markets in um, countries like that. So many opportunities that I see people miss, and uh, I mean, I'm a nerd when it comes to nutrition, and that's why I go for these things. But I think most people are kind of missing out, you know. When I see a bunch of tourists in a McDonald's in in like I don't know in an Asian country, dude, like you're missing out. I mean, you're you're literally missing out. Why would you do that to yourself when you have so much good local food, probably even more affordable than what you're eating right there? But it's kind of we go for our default, you know. It's it's almost like that seal of trust. You know, if I go there, I know I'm going to be full. So people kind of, you know, they, they make these weird decisions. You know, sometimes they're not very rational. But, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, it's calories and macros and, and high-quality foods. So 80-20 really works for me. But you raise a good point there with, in terms of um, people not uh, sampling the, the indigenous food. I think the only argument you could have for possibly that would be, um, be to some degree you think you know what's in it, but then it might not actually be the same uh, like quality yeah. of, of, of say, we'll say you say McDonald's. So say the same quality of beef, is it up to the same standard as say, we'll say the Western world. So it's like, well, you think it's better for, for your stomach uh, to some extent, but is it really? Yeah, we could argue that. I mean, I, I'll be the first one to admit when I saw stuff like skinny tofu in Taiwan, you know, I was running away from it. You know, it was disgusting. <laughs> and no insult to Taiwanese people. And it's probably it tastes delicious for you if you're used to it, if your taste receptors are used to that kind of food, even your smell receptor, because it smells really bad, you know. And and there, there are certain foods like that, you know, you're just going to be automatically repulsed by it, like insects and stuff. Some people hate that stuff. I don't care. You know, I, I'll try anything. Um, but, but again, you want to be careful with street food. Uh, in most countries that are, um, let's say, not even the Western countries, I'll be quite careful where I buy my food. Uh, what I mean by saying the local food, I mean more like farmer's markets kind of stuff where it, it, it's fairly safe to try out those foods 
street food in Asia, um, if you go to Thailand, Vietnam, Taiwan, even Hong Kong, even those uh, even more expensive places, you it's a gamble, right? Most people will get something at some point, you know, like almost all my friends that at least at some point during their trip, they got sick, they, they got this bug, you know, something happened. And it's it's about being smart. You know, sometimes you can maybe save a few dollars if you're eating at a street place, you know, you save two bucks, but then you get salmonella and you're out for a month, you know, is, is, is that two dollars really worth it? So, so it's about being smart about it as well, you know, like keep your eyes open. And I think people, a combination that really kind of skews their judgment is if you get wasted, if you like alcohol, you go out, you have some booze, you're not thinking straight. You go to a street place. You eat some kind of, I don't know, ancient uh, kebab place you know, that, that has really poor quality meat, and then you get sick. And you know, it's it happens. You know, shit like that happens. Keep in mind that th- there's always some degree of risk in whatever you're doing. Even the fact that you're in a new country, that's that's risk by itself. But I feel like the benefits of just trying to immerse yourself in into the local life outweigh the potential downside of, I mean, trying out some foods. If you're smart about it, you can pretty much eliminate almost all the risks. If you're being careful, I wouldn't go and buy like a, I don't know, like a street sandwich in, in Thailand somewhere where like I can see that the person is like, the, the sandwich stand is in the dirt and then everything is dirty around it and there's you know, gasoline dripping from, <laughs> I mean, into it, you know, like you, you see what's up, you know, and you, you know that that kind of place, well, it might be half a dollar for the serving, but it's just not worth it, man. Like you're, again, value your body, value your health, and, and think of it from that perspective. And keep keep in mind, I mean, even a great example, I usually drink bottled water in almost all countries until I talk to a lot of locals, and then I confirm that the water is okay. So my default choice is to drink bottled water when I reach into when I go to a new country, even here in Romania right now. Then I hit up a couple of buddies, or even you can hit up Facebook groups if you don't really know anybody local, and you can ask them about the water quality. It's super important, right? Because if you switch to uh, some water that is not clean uh, by the standard that that is for consumption, maybe it's good for washing and stuff like that. You can put your health in danger. You know, maybe these locals are used to it, but since you're coming from a new place, um, you're not used to it. So that can play a role. And these basic things, um, it's just kind of like a checklist that you go through. And if it all kind of checks out, good to go, man. So the next question I'd like to ask you, Mario, is as we're recording this, yesterday you brought out a video on uh, how do you stop getting distracted and sharpen your focus? But what I'd like to ask you is, can't that can that not be difficult when you're moving from place to place? Oh yeah, I mean, the the way you look at it, pretty much anything, uh, just 10x the difficulty if you're traveling. Anything like brushing your teeth, instead of taking two minutes the regular time, you know, two to three minutes at home when you know that you can just grab the, the toothbrush and the paste without even looking at it you have to look and find it because the thing is not there. <laughs> it's just even that, you know, the, where's the towel, the water is hot. Like oh, even the simple example like that, it's going to take you longer because we're, 
we're creatures of our environment and the way our brain saves energy is by just getting accustomed to the environment and storing all this subconscious information so you can just grab that toothpaste you know where you know where the fridge door is you know you know these things so you don't have to actually think about it and calculate am i going to be able to reach that you actually know and we're pretty good at it you know it takes a while to get into that but when you talk about distractions, boy, you're going to be hit by a lot of stuff if you're not used to it, you know, and taking a walk through the city, um, you're going to be hit up by all these ads, different languages, people trying to sell you shit if you're not used to that, um, people trying to poach you, you know, like, hey, go to this place, like, do you want to buy weed, do you want to buy sandwiches, like, they're going to be hitting you up from all different types of angles, and one part of I guess how I do this, I try to almost binge on this. So in the first two days when I reach a new location, I'm just going to take a walk and I'm going to see everything. So I'm going to be kind of just, okay, let's ruin these two days, but then let's go back to my routine. You know, like let's go through everything now. So I, I'm not going to be surprised if something comes up in the future. Other ways of doing it would be baby stepping it. You know, like just baby step it and kind of expose yourself to majority of things and and but but slowly, distractions themselves they're not really going to come so much from the environment where you're in in terms of um, the new city. But this thing right here, this is a distraction, right? You see now I open my phone. There's there's a trillion notifications on it, and my phone doesn't ring, doesn't vibrate, doesn't make any noise, doesn't make any light, doesn't do anything. But still, this phone, this device right here, this is the biggest distraction for 80% of people that have it. You will unlock this phone 100 times today. You know, that's statistically, uh, looking at research, it's pretty accurate, right? You just unlock it, you don't even think about it. And that's where you really wanna master your focus and your distractions. Like this thing right here, the computer. There's no notification in my computer. When I use someone else's computer, I sometimes, uh, let's say if I check up on my buddy's computer or if I'm editing on a different computer, and um, I'm using two of them because one can't edit at the same time as, as do other stuff. If, if it's like full of uh, stuff to do, man, it's like these things keep popping up. You know, these ads, uh, you watch a YouTube video and there's like, oh, I'm here in my garage. You know, what the hell? You know, like I don't see these things because all my ads are completely blocked. Then all my notifications are blocked. I don't allow myself to get exposed to these marketing triggers because that's not what I want to do. It, what, what these, I mean, what these cues and triggers do to us is literally, it, it, I mean, it's custom tailored right now in today's world is that they will check your browser history. They're going to check what you're interested in. They're going to check what you checked on Amazon last week and you didn't buy it. And they're going to hit you up with that, you know, like, oh, did you forget to book this flight to Haiti, you know, and then you're going to be thinking about that. Did you forget to buy this awesome piece of headphones, you know, because you were checking it out two weeks ago. You visited this website. Hey, here's another offer that might be interesting for you. And you just keep getting hit up by stuff that you can't necessarily ignore because it is uh, designed by some of the world's smartest marketers, psychologists, and, and really, really smart people. And it's just designed for you to, so you can't ignore it. And that slowly just hits you and you lose your focus for two minutes. But that two minutes can potentially turn into 30 minutes if you keep know, following the chain of triggers. You open the ad, end up on Amazon, you know, check the reviews, start reading the reviews. There's a link there. You click on that. You go to a different web. 35 minutes gone, you know. And those 35 minutes, I mean, 
initially you didn't plan to do that for those 35 minutes and that's what was bothering me was bothering me that that wasn't on my agenda until someone else put it there <laughs> so uh one part of uh, the way i see it right now in the modern modern environment it's not even about having time it's not even about having the energy as much as it's really about mastering your focus when you have those things because if you don't have the focus man like you can have 15 hours a day and you'll spend them and every day you're going to look back and what did I do today? And you can't do anything if your focus is dispersed uh, for very, very small, tiny tasks that don't give any value. And the reason for that, if you look at any high quality work, any product that came out, article, video, small thing like podcast, this requires us to sit here to just focus on this for an hour or so. And that's what makes it good. If we were just talking one sentence I check my Facebook then you go on your Instagram then I go on my Twitter then you go on the YouTube comments dude this would take us six hours to make and it would be total crap <laughs> because like my train of thought would be oh yeah I gotta do this and oh yeah by the way what are we talking about you know and that's what most people are actually doing pretty much every day of their life from what I've seen even talking to some of super, super smart people, my clients, entrepreneurs, uh, nomads, any kind of lifestyle you can possibly imagine, you would think that they have all these things sorted out. But even the small stuff, like their phone, if we're in a conversation, it just keeps ringing. I'm like, dude, like, how can you, how can you let that get on your agenda? You know, create some barriers. One of the first things that I did as an entrepreneur is create a barrier for people that if you want to reach me, like almost all of your messages will go into filtered. They're going to go into uh, like the requests or at the end of the day, you have to email me, which will then go to my assistant. Then I'm going to get the email. So there's a barrier there. And that barrier is enough for people just to stop either who are not serious are going to stop bugging me. Um, or it's enough for me to actually uh, just check it at my own convenience when I can. And I check it, you know, I check it. Early morning, if I finish my first work block, I'll check it. I'll check it before I go to bed. Twice a day is enough, man. Like, come on. <laughs> Let's be honest here. I mean, do you really need to check your notifications more than three times a day? And we check it for like 30 to 60 times a day and for no reason. Or how many times you refresh your newsfeed and there's literally nothing there. And even that, it, it's information that's coming really, really fast. It's not coming fast as much as our dopamine receptors just got addicted to those hits of, of dopamine. It just sucks, man. <laughs> we just trained ourselves to be these uh, addicts. You know, we trained ourselves to literally be ADD for no reason. I think it bring. I think it. You bring a valid point up there. I think it was the invention of Facebook has kind of made it to a chronic state because if I take myself as an example uh, until I got it well I'm going to say it's about a decade now that I've had Facebook I wasn't on the computer as much as I am now and and I think especially at that time I was a student I think you would probably if it wasn't there how much like you said how much would I actually get done that wasn't spent on that social media I mean, yeah, we can't say – I say like Facebook is 80%, 90% good, but there's this, there's this few things that are 
sort of negatively impacting us if we don't know how to manage it. And I would say Facebook would be probably 100% good if we just knew this stuff. You know, if someone would actually come out and teach you when you're a little kid how to manage your focus, how to manage your attention, this wouldn't be an issue. It's really about awareness and about knowledge. It's not about the tool itself because you can abuse anything. I mean, I can take this bottle of water here, drink five of these, and I'm going to be dead. You know, uh, you can abuse pretty much anything if if you're not educated enough, if you don't know the facts and the information. So uh, one big challenge for the education system and for parenting in general is to be able to convey this information in a way that the the next person is going to join a social media, or it's even going to get worse. I mean, worse, quote unquote. Uh, if you invent VR, you know, if you invent these kinds of things, you're going to get hit up by something that seems even more real than what we currently have. Mm. And it's even more important for us to be able to master our focus. Because if you don't have the focus, you're not going to go to the gym. You're not going to eat healthy. And, and I, I mean, that's my main – like people, when, when they listen to me talking about this, they're like, okay, what do you do? Are you like this uh, – are you do life stuff? Do you help me organize my time or stuff? Like they think I'm a business coach or something. No, I mean, regardless of which domain of life you want to master, having focus and, and your uh, environment figured out – that's going to help you in fitness and nutrition as much as it's going to do in business. If I have a chocolate cake triggering me in my fridge when I open it, I'm going to eat that chocolate cake, man. Like, it, it's like pure, uh, I mean, pure behavior. You know, it's like the trigger, visual cue triggers an impulse, impulse triggers the behavior, and all of a sudden I find myself half through the chocolate cake. You know, and the cool thing about what I can do and what we need to train ourselves to do is that once you get that trigger, once you see that impulse. Before you get to that behavior, there's a tiny place there for building awareness. And if you have that tiny place there where you can learn and train yourself to be aware of what's actually going on, to, so you know, hey, I'm being triggered. Hey, this is creating an impulse. Then you actually have that little pause there. And that's going to be enough to solve half of these behaviors that are normally subconscious. You know, somebody says, hey, I downed the box of cookies. I don't even know when it happened. Not uncommon, you know, not uncommon because it just leads um, one step to the other. Well, generally with things like that, they're in a um, kind of trance-like state and it would be, in most cases, in front of the television. Yeah, yeah, especially that distracted eating. There's some pretty good science in this. Uh, I mean, when I say good, there's maybe a handful of studies. Uh, sadly, nobody, I mean, nobody's researching this so much. Uh, but, it, it, I mean, it's enough and... I'm a kind of guy that I love science, I love research, but if there's not enough science on something, dude, you can try it out. I mean, you can see what's going on. I don't have to get a trillion studies to confirm that distracted eating is going to end up me consuming more food than I would eat if I was actually present to the moment and paying attention to what I was doing. You know, I don't need a meta-analysis of a thousand studies to let me know that, that, that not, that's not a good idea. I can figure it out on my own, and anybody can. So some of these things are just basic common sense, and this is one of those common sense things. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not against entertainment. Uh, dude, I'm a big nerd geek. I'll, when I saw the new Star Wars trailer, I was like all over that. You know, when I saw this new, I just saw like the tour trailer, I'm like, damn, I'm going to see that. I'm a big sci-fi fan. I'm going to watch these things, but I'm going to watch it in my own time. You know, I'm not going to let that uh, come 
at me at any time it wants to. You know, I'm just gonna have that barrier. Okay, look, I can pick. I want to see. I want to see the movie, but it's gonna be at the time that I choose, and that's the big difference. You know, I'm not gonna avoid it. I'm not gonna be this uh, Spartan lifestyle. You know, it's the basement and uh, read books all day and, and train and be a be a caveman. You know, I mean, I like that, but I want to combine it as well with the other things that I like to do. And in that video um, that we were talking about just then, you raised an interesting fact, uh, obviously, that uh, scientifically it's impossible to multitask, which I believe uh, some w women may or may not be annoyed by. Yeah, I mean, the research is pretty clear. Uh, now, there's a, there's a few studies out there. Some actually show that men better are better at multitasking. Some say that women are... I believe that women probably are a little bit better if I, from the research that I've seen, but it's not a, it's not something to write about. You know, it's not something that you would be super proud of. To be fair, uh, you can get pretty good at switching tasks, but there's a cost for that. And also, we want to put the right things in the right context. Uh, in example, let me say that uh, if we were doing this podcast right now, and if I was playing an audiobook on this. I would not be able to do the two things at the same time. Like there was just not enough of uh, attention left to do both of these things because this requires my full attention. If I would be listening to an audiobook at the same time, I would probably have to 100% ignore the audiobook or 100% ignore what I'm talking about with you. Now, on the other hand, if at the same time I'm listening to an audiobook and I'm preparing my breakfast, which is something that I've done a billion times, or if it's something like... Uh, shopping for groceries or if it's walking to the gym or if it's doing laundry or if it's cleaning the house or if it's, uh, I don't know, putting uh, clothes on, taking a shower and things like that. And I do listen to audiobooks in the shower sometimes for those like asking, probably is going to be curious. Um, you can do those things because they're not that taxing. They're not that hard to, to match together. Uh, stuff like even what I, I would advise against that is even driving plus audiobook can be quite dangerous because if the book is really good, um, you can you can run into trouble there. But for the other things where there's almost no risk and you, where you can literally do it, like listen to an audiobook while you're uh, having your breakfast, it's totally fine. Uh, keep in mind that while you're eating food, if you're distracted at the same time, there's some evidence that you will probably eat more if you don't control your portions properly. And you actually might feel less um, filling, like less full after the meal. Just something to think about, you know, just some food for thought. But uh, at the same time, you can do it. And you will be able to pay attention to the audiobook, get a lot of good knowledge, plus knock out some of those trivial tasks around the day. Or public transport, perfect opportunity to listen to a book. Um, you could listen to this crazy person in the bus that is yelling about some crazy shit that happened 40, 50 years ago, delusional, or you could listen to like Winston Churchill's biography or something, you know, like inspire you, like Mandela's biography, you know, you can listen to Arnold Schwarzenegger tell you that you need to do more reps and things like that. Like you can listen to that instead of this crazy low value thing that, that is around you. So you can literally immerse yourself in your own little world, get a ton of value from that, and if people would do that, that's one or two extra books a week just by doing that. Just one one thing, you know, one little switch. And um, I'm a big fan of audiobooks, man. Like, to be fair, I can't even remember last time I read a book, like a paper 
book. Uh, I feel like audio is just more suitable for the type of learner that I am. And I also just find it easier to do that while I'm cooking, driving, uh, in, in public transport while I'm there. It just does it in a way that it doesn't affect my productivity, so I don't have to take too much time for it, but I still get two to three weeks, uh, two to three books per week just by doing that, which is fantastic, right? You're always reading. You don't even feel like you're uh, under the effect of that, just I mean, your eyes hurt and things like that, and, and I would have a lot of issues with that. I mean, I spend already too much time on my computer, so I don't want to add too much uh, of that. And when you raise a good point there with... Um obviously drown, well, not drowning out somebody but you'd have probably seen firsthand obviously London is very much like that it's very <laughs> much uh how would I put it it's tunnel vision to a certain extent and I think the only time that the city wasn't like that would have probably been during the Olympics where they're a bit more friendly yeah I mean you can't really expect too much from the environment in a big city. Uh, it, it's literally about just you choosing what's going to be in front of your eyes, what's going to go in your mind. And you have conscious control over that filter. As much as people are uh, not aware of it, most very, very successful people, you will rarely, rarely see them being under the effect of something totally random. They're very picky of what they let into their world. And that's one thing that's going to make you really successful is, is choose your influencers, choose what's going to influence you. If you're listening to very motivational videos, if you're listening to like Gary Vee telling you that you need to use Snapchat more, you know, that can create some positive impact in your life. If you're listening to some random BS, someone talking about how they got wasted last week, that's cool. But that shouldn't be 90% of the, the stuff that you're listening to, you know, save it again for that. 10, 20% when you're really out, when there's no agenda to what you're doing, like there's no ultimate goal, but have 80% of it really be something where you want to be that person that you're proud of. You want to be that high performer. I mean, most of my coaching, it's around getting people to that stage where they are that high performer, where they're really crushing it. You know, they're not trying to force their body to, to do shit that, that it just can't do or just trying to get energy from it. It's having your body on your side, having your mind on your side, so you can really crush it day to day in all areas of your life. And this has a huge impact. It's not just about abs. Eventually, you're going to realize that life is about having pretty much everything handled out, and that's where you can just comfortably walk around and you just have this, uh, have this balanced kind of tone to your, even to your conversations just have this very balanced kind of view of the world because you have everything handled sort of and you can just objectively look at things and just get more value and just upgrade where you want to and uh, it becomes a balancing act after a while. You know, that's, that's where it really ends up being. And finally, Mario, you've done a few talks recently, uh, notably Lisbon, Barcelona and London. Is there any more in the pipeline? Yeah, man, uh, this year is a year of uh, seminars. Uh, that's something I made as a goal in the beginning of uh, 2017. The goal was to knock out a bunch of seminars, something I was planning for a long time. Last year, I couldn't really do those in Europe because I was out of Europe. Uh, now I finally got a chance. I'm back. I did a bunch of travel. Um, basically, I'm, now I'm mainly traveling for seminars, for events, and for interviews. So that's my main uh, goal. Uh, the upcoming one is going to be here in Bucharest, in Romania. That's going to be sort of beginning of May. Uh, then we're going to 
go to Sofia, Bulgaria. We're going to do a talk there. I haven't done uh, I haven't done a talk there in a while. Uh, Bucharest is going to be the first time, so I'm going to check out what's going on here. Then there's a bunch of travel going on. Uh, I'm going to go to um, Amsterdam once. I am going to be in uh, Prague, actually going to uh, the Guns N' Roses concert with my bro. Uh, that's going to be pretty cool. I was like, a, I was really crazy about the Guns N' Roses back when I was in high school, so I took this opportunity to see them, uh, their reunion and their concert in Prague uh, with my bro, who is a hardcore fan. Looking forward to that. That's going to be like actually the first, the only thing that this year that I planned that is not going to be work. That's the only thing that I planned. So that's two days with my bro in Prague. Uh, the rest of it is all kind of work and pleasure combined. Uh, then I'm going to go uh, to visit my family back home, go to the beach a little bit, chill out there, uh, get some work done, maybe throw a seminar um, somewhere there. But then I'm moving to uh, Canada, to Toronto, and that's where I'm going to organize probably the biggest event this year. Um, I'm in contact with a few of my buddies who are also into events and into fitness and they have pretty big YouTube channels. And we're going to try to really put together an epic event in Canada. I feel like Toronto is like a really good location because New York is nearby. There's a lot of great places nearby. And the interest in the community for fitness in Toronto in that area is very, very high. So um, I would, I, I mean, I'm really looking forward to going there and, and just to meet up with these guys. And I think we can bring a lot of value to the table uh, and people are gonna, just going to be mind blown uh, by the, just the sheer amount of information. Because in person, you can just make so much good impact uh, in when you're in person, when you're listening in person, you can also get immediate feedback and listen to the audience and give some really good content. I'm always getting addicted to public speaking as much as I was in the beginning of YouTube videos. You know, I love videos. I love video production. There's a lot of stuff cool behind the scenes. Public speaking is a whole different level for me. And uh, in the future, what I see happening is more and more public speaking. And that's going to be the main uh, stuff like delivering keynotes and, and things like that about all these topics that we talked about here, of course, and making sure that the evidence-based fitness and nutrition kind of are combined with the personal development aspect. And also, uh, Mario, which we didn't touch upon there, uh, what I saw firsthand was that if we use the London one as the example, what some people might be surprised by is you're actually giving that information absolutely for free. Is that going to be the same case for all the ones going forward? That is, uh, that is an interesting observation. I think that a lot of people are surprised by that. And it's kind of a commitment that I made in the beginning of this year that I will do a lot of free talks this year. I basically said I'm going to do all of them for free um, because I don't know, man. I just feel like it's a good opportunity for me to talk to so many people in person that I'm getting as much value out of it as the people at the event, although it might seem like I'm the one who's teaching, quote unquote, but it also gives me some really good chance to meet up with the core fans, with the people that are really there to learn. And you get a lot of people coming out, you know, it's just a no brainer. I want to make it a no brainer. Like if there's an event in your city, dude, it's like, you got to come out, you know, it's going to be an hour to an hour and a half, pure freaking value, you're going to get something out of it, you know, and if nothing really that, that you, you're going to implement immediately, you're going to implement it down the line. You're going to meet someone at the event who's going to maybe become your best friend or, or like your girlfriend or something, you know, because you're in the same stuff. And I find that super, super key. Um, of course, I mean, most of the seminars that I get invited to as a speaker, there's some kind of compensation. I, I don't, 
I don't necessarily want to be compensated financially, but let's say if someone helps me out with logistics, that's super cool because I appreciate that. So I don't have to think about it or book my own accommodations. That, that's really cool. Um, I, I don't really want to, it's not my main thing that I would say currently, but in the future, of course, I don't know what's going to happen if I do um, some small seminars with small group, like group coaching sessions and things like that. Um, immersion style for one or two weeks that's probably going to be like a paid program where where we're going to really work on practical stuff but for these things that is um, that is just a seminar they're going to be for free for now and probably for a very long time maybe like some kind of like seat reservation thing and then you get the money back something like simple it's going to be very very simple and the last question before we wrap the podcast up if you had to summarize this podcast into one sentence, what would that be? Got it, got it. Uh, that, that's a really good question. So because we touched upon so many different, different areas, um, I would say that for those aspiring digital nomads and entrepreneurs in general, whether you're a digital nomad or not, your ability to master your environment and your focus directly correlates with how successful you're going to be. So that's a direct correlation. And um, I think that it's almost a no-brainer if you if you really look at it from this perspective and for all the good stuff that we talked about here. I think that's some wise words there, Mario. So once again, thanks for coming on the show. Humbled to be here, man. Uh, I want to thank you for inviting me. Uh, real pleasure talking to you. Your questions are always good, and uh, we touched on some really important things. And uh, yeah, again, I'm, I'm very humbled to be in this position to be able to share my ideas, uh, even speak in English for uh, someone who's not an non- English native speaker. I, I mean, I'm glad that I'm able to put out my ideas, and uh, people will actually understand what I'm talking about. So yeah, I appreciate it, man. If you enjoyed this episode or one of the previous ones, then please do go to iTunes and leave me a review. Once again, thanks for listening, and I will catch you next week for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast.